O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. With the parable of the coming of the bridegroom in today's gospel, we begin our journey toward Advent, which begins, of course, in just another two or three weeks. It's the time to wake up again and to renew our commitment to readiness and repentance. We hear in this parable echoes of our need to prepare for the coming of Christ. And in the ten bridesmaids are various states of readiness or unreadiness. We may also find parables in our own lives of what it means to be prepared and the consequences of not doing so. I'm afraid I have a few too many of those parables in my own life. Years ago in my early 30s, before I was ordained and working full-time in the church, I worked for a consulting firm in the Boston area, and it was a job that required me to do quite a bit of traveling. Often I would leave the office in the middle of the day to go to the airport to catch a plane somewhere. And on my way out of the office building, I would pass by the receptionist and say goodbye, usually letting her know where I was off to this time. She would wish me well, say goodbye, and then kind of wryly smile as I left. Now she smiled because she knew that I would probably be back in about two minutes after I had gotten to my car and remembered something that I had forgotten. My itinerary or my ticket or something in the materials for my client. And invariably she was right. It became a joke between us. It always took me at least two or sometimes three tries to get out the door. And frankly, some of the people close to me now, including my wife and some of our staff, will tell you that I'm still learning on that one. It's important that we learn to think ahead, isn't it? To plan, anticipate what comes next. Now, sometimes we don't because we are so focused on what's happening in the moment. And some of us have minds that race from one thought to the next so rapidly that we have a hard time focusing on the one thing we really need to be focused on at the moment. Or we easily get distracted in a conversation or some other interesting diversion. I confess to all those things. Now you've seen the effects of people being unprepared, either yourself or others. Uh, the student who takes a test without having studied. Anybody ever done that? A job seeker who gets to an interview wearing something inappropriate or not having read up on the company they're interviewing with. A couple that gets married too hastily or ill-advisedly. There are all sorts of consequences for our being unprepared. Sometimes the consequences are small, and sometimes they're really big. I remember in 2008 when the financial crisis hit, and some of you do too. I remember talking to people who had thought that they were, had prepared so well for their retirement, but all of a sudden the game had changed. They didn't have nearly as much to retire on as they had believed they would. Now they were going to have to work several more years to recover and be able to retire. In spite of what they had thought had been good preparation, having followed the best advice they could get from retirement planners and experts, they found there was one thing they were not prepared for, and that was the unexpected. 
But the unexpected happened. And in the language of today's gospel, the bridegroom did not come as expected. Circumstances changed. We thought we were prepared, and now, apparently, we are not. The earliest Christian communities faced a real spiritual crisis in the early decades after Jesus. They had expected him to return soon, within their lifetimes, to deliver them from the trials and tribulations of this life. You hear that in the first epistle of the Thessalonians, which we heard in our reading today. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You can hear there that Paul and those to whom he was writing expected that Jesus would come back within their lifetimes. But when that did not happen exactly as they expected, and when some of them began to die before this had happened, it caused all sorts of deep questioning. Later, Christian theologians would come along and they would have to rethink the whole matter of Christ's return in light of these changing circumstances. The parable of the bridegroom and the ten bridesmaids that we heard in the Gospel today is a reflection of the anxiety that surrounded this spiritual crisis in the early Christian community. Matthew's Gospel, where we read this story, was written a couple of decades after that first epistle to the Thessalonians, and it has Jesus telling this parable about a bridegroom who is delayed, who doesn't come when they expect him. And finally, after a long wait, he comes unexpectedly. And now five of the bridesmaids are ready, having prepared themselves by bringing extra oil, and five of them are not. These latter five were prepared only for what they had expected, but not for what they had not expected. And when things didn't go as they thought they would, they were unprepared and they were unable to cope. Now the message in this story is clear. Be prepared not only for what you do expect, but also for what you do not expect. Now, how can you possibly be prepared for what you do not expect, you ask? And that's a fair question, isn't it? Some of us have a hard enough time being prepared for what we do expect, but being prepared for what we do not expect requires a different kind of preparation. This, friends, is a spiritual matter. It's not finally about our bank account. It's, not, it's about our hearts. It's not about all the plans we've made that we now have to put on hold. It's about how and where we learn to find joy and contentment in life. It's not about whether we are in good health or bad. It's about who we are in the deepest recesses of our hearts. 
Every crisis we face in life, whether it's a financial crisis or a political crisis or the natural disasters that take our home, our livelihood, as has happened to so many people in recent weeks, <coughs> excuse me, or a personal crisis that alters something significant in our life. Every crisis we face also has a spiritual dimension to it, and it may in fact prompt a cr spiritual crisis for us. And every spiritual crisis is a wonderful opportunity to change the way we think about things, to, as, to, to think about what is really important in life, and to reevaluate our values and our priorities in life. One of the great spiritual teachers of all time was Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits and a part of the Catholic Reformation in the 16th century. In his spiritual exercises, Ignatius begins with what he calls his first principle and foundation, where he talks about the goal of our lives, which finally, he says, boils down to one thing, to live in God's presence. He has a lot of wisdom to offer in relation to that one first principle about which he writes. He says this, the goal of our life is to live with God forever. God who loves us gave us life. Our own response of love allows God's life to flow into us without limit. All the things in this world are gifts from God, presented to us so that we can know God more easily and make a return of love more readily. As a result, we appreciate and use all these gifts of God insofar as they help us to develop as loving persons. But if any of these gifts become the center of our lives, they displace God and so hinder our growth toward our goal. In everyday life, then, we must hold ourselves in balance before all of these created gifts insofar as we have a choice and are not bound by some obligation. We should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, a long life or a short one. For everything has the potential of calling forth in us a deeper response to our life in God. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and I choose what better leads to God's deepening of his life in me. Now, I find myself wondering what it would look like for us to spend as much of our time and energy and resources caring for and preparing ourselves spiritually as we do financially or physically caring for our bodies. And all those things are very important. Don't misunderstand me. But as I said, those created things are to be in the service of this larger goal. And so, also important is our spiritual life, even more so. What would it look like to cultivate that one deep and finally most important desire that resides within each one of us, which is to live fully in God's presence, not only in the life to come, but now and here? and to be aware that everything else is just the details. 
Those details are the how, not the what. The what is God and God alone. To live with that realization is what it means to have oil in our lamps. The wise bride, bridesmaids were prepared for anything. And so will we be when we discover that the answer to all of our longings finally is God. And our greatest desire, sometimes not fully known or realized, is for the deepening of God's life in us. We live in uncertain and unstable times that challenge us to be prepared not only for what we can imagine, but also for things we cannot imagine. And so today, may this story speak to us. May our lamps be full. May God's life grow ever more deeply in us. May we see beyond the superficial details of life to what really and truly matters. Amen.